0: My name is Sam, and I am joined by my podcasting partner, friend, movie soulmate. Steve, how are you today?
1: Doing fine, mate.
0: Uh, dear Lord, you got to stop a, this.
1: I, I, I brought it back. I you've brought it got, back. You've got to stop this awful... <laughs> Steve does his thing.
0: Where he tries to incorporate something about the movies uh, into his hello.
1: Shamelessly corny.
0: And they're shamelessly corny and always terrible. I'm totally embarrassed. That, that that's being, why I keep doing it. That being said, Steve, it's finally come to this. We're finally doing the genre of film that is the most self-indulgent, most self-congratulatory, <laughs> biggest pretentious preach fest of all movie genres. And it's the courtroom drama. And that's why we love it. All that being said, it's exactly why we love it. I love courtroom dramas. The ones I even love, I'm still not sure are good movies. Um lots of them are, right? So we've done, you know, Twelve Angry Men in the Past, which is by the way an episode you will no longer be able to find on our feed. I oh. took I took it down because it was from the old Skype days. Yeah. But you know what this means? What does we, it mean? It means we can redo it. Awesome. Let's now, do it. So, we can do a Cine Lume, you know style uh-huh. thing because we did a Cine Lume episode, but it was back in the early COVID days. I sounded like I was in a toilet. Yes. Right. Well, we both did. So, I, I took all the Skype episodes down about eight or nine episodes, which is great because it means we can redo some of those episodes and some of those movies.
1: However, we are not unreasonable. Yeah. Given the right price, we will ship you a, a recording. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, here's the interesting thing about um, courtroom
0: dramas hard to find a hidden gem. My choice not really your choice. Absolutely. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. We won't, we won't give it away because um, I want to talk about just courtroom dramas for a little bit here before we move forward. But I feel like courtroom dramas are these things where if you know about them, then they're popular, right? 12 Angry Men, Injustice for All, uh, A Few Good Men, the verdict, which by the way, not really a courtroom drama, pushes the there's there's very
1: little courtroom scenes in the verdict. Yeah, that's only in the end, and that, that is true for some in the genre. I yeah. think, um, but uh, we we can get into that uh, at the end of this. We have a, yeah. a, a slightly new feature of movies we could have picked, and there are a few of those where um, it's still it's technically a courtroom drama. Yeah, all has to do with the law, but it's mostly, uh, it's it's mo- mostly you know character driven. Well, you know, what? let's which do it it, let's do it now. Instead okay. of the end. Let's talk about them right now. Here are a few movies that we could have picked. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Anatomy of a Murder. Okay. Now, that is a fantastic movie. And I'm also going to say Witness for the Prosecution. Now, these two movies were hits. Yeah. Both got lots of Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. I don't think either one won any. Yeah. Um, but nobody talks about them anymore. Anatomy of a Murder is very influential. Mm -hmm. Um, they started using words uh, in 1959 that had not been used before. And, uh, you know, uh, James Stewart, you know, he's kind of conservative. His dad was an ultra-conservative, and he found the movie filthy. (laughs) 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 They talked about panties for the first time or something. They they talked about a certain thing— I, I don't know, penetration, uh, things really? like that. Really? Yes. It, in 1959, that was pretty, was pretty um, groundbreaking stuff. That's when the studio system and, um, was starting to break up. The Hays Code was starting to deteriorate. Yeah. And this movie uh, was one of the things that knocked it down. Well, let me just rant here for a little bit. Um, I think we're getting to the point, Steve, and
0: I'm certainly guilty of this in my choice. Um, or not guilty, but I'm using this as a crutch because my movie's not really a hidden gem anything that's old now that, isn't, <laughs> that isn't Citizen Kane is becoming a hidden gem. And in fact, I've been thinking about this. It's, I call it the Elvis theory. I have a theory. A hundred years from now, somebody's going to have to rediscover Elvis Presley. So <laughs> I was born in 1985. My parents are a little bit older than baby boomers. My mom was born mm-hmm. in 1942. My dad born in 1944. However, growing up, The three most famous musical people I could think of ever, I consider them the three kings, right, were Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, and the Beatles. That was it. Those three people were the most recognizable names in music. I had Frank Sinatra, but yeah.
1: I I get where you're coming from. but,
0: But Elvis, I'm just saying, when I was a kid, Elvis was like Babe Ruth. He still had so much cultural cachet and relevancy. And now I think that is exponentially and rapidly dissipating. I think Elvis is, um, and has nothing to do with politics or anything like that. I just think that we are moving so far away from the music of Elvis. I think the Beatles will be popular forever. I think Michael Jackson will be popular for a long time. He might eventually fade out, but I doubt it because so much current music is still influenced by him. I think at some point there's going to be some high school kid in the year 2115, all right, who's like, have you heard about this guy named Elvis Presley? And you're going to see holographic news stories about, like, an old, like, ancient, like, musical relic uh, relic icon is, like, being rediscovered by the masses. My point being about movies, we're getting to the point now where if it's not Citizen Kane or Gone with the Wind... Um, that pretty much any black and white film that was even a great success in its day is going to become a hidden
1: gem. There are there are probably less than five that uh, your average American uh, has seen. Uh, I think uh, The Wizard of Oz yeah. is one. Yeah, uh, you know of what? Course. I disagree. No, I think.
0: The, the, I would bet you the majority of Americans today have not seen The Wizard of Oz. you got to remember
1: all these kids and teenagers out there. Yeah, but their parents love it. Their parents no, most of their parents it. now are younger have than you. Has your child seen Wizard of Oz? No,
0: because I'm not going to watch with it. with it. I'm not going to watch Wizard of <laughs> Oz. It's a fantastic movie. The point wouldn't is, you watch it? Most parents today movie? are younger than me in America. Younger. So you, are, you are an old fossil, aren't you? The, well, I'm 36, <laughs> but the point is um, most parents are younger than me. And they're
1: not watching Wiz- Wizard of Oz with their kids. I'm not tuned in yeah. a lot like you. And, and you, you could be right. But at least as far as um, recognizability, yeah. there's, there's the Wizard of Oz. There's, um, of course, uh, every Christmas you get um, uh, the, the James Stewart movie. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? Um? Oh, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. So that
0: that will still have cultural cachet because it's shown every Christmas yeah. on network television. Yeah.
1: Well, you got the Ten Commandments and Sound of Music also get yeah. played on network television. Yeah. Although network television may be an a the way, piece ten, of nostalgia. Ten
0: Commandments is um, a color picture. By the way, Steve, this is that one helps. of these moments uh, like Abe Simpson's where uh, what was it? You were hip once, and then what became? Well, how does that quote go? It's like, you know, I was hip once or I was with it once and then what it became and like changed. Changed. <laughs> yeah. and it's like and now it's like scary to me. <laughs> like the idea like you think you you're not clued in. Mm-hmm. What what you think the world is is now a very different place.
1: Yeah, I think there's There's actually less respect for older movies now than there there ever has been. Um, When I was growing up, you know, the parents wanted you to see Casablanca. You knew what Gone with the Wind was. When I was growing up and Gone with the Wind made its debut in the Mm mid-70s on network television, it was a gigantic deal. Um, Politics aside... uh, it's. Kind of, I don't think people want to, would, would sit through that anymore. Well, and here's a great example.
0: Tragedy. The co-host of my literature podcast, Full Dusty Jacket, a literary podcast for gentlemen, shameless plug, <laughs> uh, Sean Jones said about Night of the Hunter, he said he loves that movie, but he said he felt it was trapped by the time. And what I said to him was, you have to consider movies of that era, right? You have to consider black and white pictures in general now to be a style of movie. Don't think of it as movies from a time anymore. Just think of them as a style of movies, even though they're not, right? But because they all share a certain aesthetic beyond the black and white. If you think of them as a style, then you can appreciate them for being almost their own genre of movie consider any movie that's black and white from 1930 to 1965 as a genre of movie now and if you can think of it that way you can enjoy them more when you say to yourself you know what i feel like watching an old black and white yeah and if you call them an old black and white you can now be like this is a kind of movie a a genre movie even though obviously there's comedies of old black and whites and dramas and horrors but now i feel like the best way to sell them to people is to lump them all together and just say that they are their own kind of movie.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I'd, hate to, I'd hate to see them all get um, in, into a, like a ghettoized genre. Starting around the 50s, about half the movies were, sometime in the 50s, half the movies were color, half the movies were black and white, and they made artistic decisions. Yeah. Some, some said, you know, well, we could do this in color, but you know, this is a serious drama, so it has to be black and white. Right. <laughs> they, if it was a serious drama, you, you know, if you wanted a musical... It's going to be color. If you wanted a comedy, probably going to be color. Uh, not always, but 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 often. But the hard hitting movies were considered the more serious. You were. Yeah. It would be black and white, and By that ha- way, that that continued
0: through the mid sixties. I like when movies do that, even in the modern era, because it puts an extra emphasis on shot composition. Most black and white movies have excellent shot composition because they're not doing what whatever that idiot did for the Joker movie where all he cared about <laughs> was filters and color palettes. You know what I mean? The shot composition. Focus and in yeah, focus. Oh. Shot composition made no sense in that film whatsoever. Right. Um, any other, uh, by the way, I just wanted to say about, you know, the reason you lump them together as a genre and a style is just to get people to watch them so that you don't have to say, I know it's old. If it works, it's great. That way you don't if have to works, say, I know, it's old, of, I know it's old, but. You get rid of, I know it's old, but. You get rid of that and
1: you say, no, no, this is his own kind of movie. There is something about a beautifully shot black and white movie that the color color doesn't have. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I think it's easier to get lost in a world, yeah, because it, it there, there's an element of surrealism. Obviously, yeah. we don't live in a black and white world, so there's an element of surrealism. Now, in the '60s, when these gritty dramas, the black and white kind of seemed irrelevant. It, it almost seemed like it was a content decision by itself. But uh, some movies could have just as been easily, um, you know, shot in color. But some of the old ones, they look so luxurious, and and they look so, um, I don't know. There's, I think it adds depth to yeah. the, um, to the, um, uh, uh, to the to the storytelling. Now, I, I picked two. Mm-hmm. One is Witness for the Prosecution, a great Billy Wilder movie, and Anatomy of A Mm murder, which was Otto Preminger, who was, uh, from what I understand, is a real dick. (laughs) I mean, just the worst monster as a director. But didn't he? Didn't he effectively end the Hollywood blacklist? There are a couple of people who like to take credit for that, including Kurt Douglas. Yeah, Um, right. You know, there there are several people. Yeah, Uh, Witness for the Prosecution. mm, This is a fun movie. Yeah, it's much lighter than Anatomy of a Murder. Yeah, it's just good fun. And I guess that's what it appealed to Ben Affleck, because he's trying to uh, remake it. But, oh, is he? Uh, yeah. Now, here's a true hidden gem um, with all of the uh, caveats, okay? Music Box. And I strongly suggest you seeing Music Box. Uh, this was made in the—around 1990, maybe some—I I I don't remember if it was in the 80s or 90s, ladies, or early 90s. It so Jessica Lange okay. as a—she's as a, um, a lawyer— and she defends her father against accusations that um he was once a Nazi prison guard okay now they live in mid america right he's a german em- immigrant right and they in the past they had dealt with this and then they um they, they try they think they can, think they've got more evidence it's a fascinating it really is a fascinating morality play it's it's uh, directed by the great greek uh uh director costa garvis who did I'm sure I mispronounced that. He did Z, okay, you know, yeah, and he he came out to America, did Missing with Sissy Spacek and and Jack Lemon, and he did um, um, a few others. That is a true hidden gem and one I can really recommend. Okay, so, so we've course, really gotten off the uh, beaten path, but yeah. <laughs> of course, during an episode where we talked prior,
0: saying we got to keep this one short, we're already running long. I know, I know. So we're by gonna... the one last thing, Music yeah. Box,
1: one of Jessica Lange's best performances. All right, she plays a. She's sensitive to her father. She's a killer in the um, when she gets on on um, in the uh, dealing with the opposition in, in legal matters. It's a terrific. Don't terrific give it away. Response. All right, I'll
0: watch that one. All right, so we're gonna get into your 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 recommendation first, Steve. And here's okay. what I'm gonna say about your recommendation. I feel like your track record on this podcast with me personally, is either you pick something that absolutely amazes me, that uh-huh. just flabbergasts me in its quality that I've never heard of, or sometimes you underwhelm me a little bit. <laughs> and you slap yourself on the forehead. Which one is this? Well, I just <laughs> supposed to be like Barbarossa, eh, Winchester, oh, Winchester 44, eh,
1: 73. 73.
0: See, but this is my point. Sometimes oh my I feel gosh.
1: like... You go Don't and, listen to them, guys. Those so, two are two fantastic movies.
0: They're decent movies. They're good. They're hidden gems, but they're like, they don't like, I feel like my track record is maybe more even, but my peaks aren't necessarily as high as yours, okay? I don't think they are. That being said, this movie, oh my God, is one of the best movies I've wow. ever seen. And wow. I've seen a lot of movies in my life, and I absolutely loved this
1: movie. I was a little was, worried how you would take this I movie. Was,
0: Floored by it. And that movie is Breaker Morant.
1: South Africa, 1901. He was known as Breaker Morant, a gallant soldier fighting a harsh war. New orders, no prisoners. The gentleman's war is over. Edward Woodward and Jack Thompson in Breaker Morant. When the empire he served made him a scapegoat, they made him into a legend. Breaker Morant, rated PG. Starts Friday at a select theater near you. Check newspapers. Okay, Steve, give us the facts about Breaker Morant. Here's a stat sheet uh, Breaker Morant, fairly uh, crisp running time, 107, 107 minutes. It was released on July 3rd, 1980. Now it was its Australia release. I didn't see this movie until it hit cable the next year, like 81 or 82. Get this, it cost less than a million dollars. Wow, eight hundred thousand. It looks incredible. It looks beautiful. It's. it's, it looks it's we'll get into that. Yeah, um, eight hundred thousand uh, um, Australian dollars. So maybe mm-hmm. they, maybe they're they're higher. I don't know. Um, it was made uh, for the South Australian Film Corporation, which is still around, as far as I know, because it's made some fairly recent movies. Uh, a lot of the big. What, it made one of the Mad Max movies. I think Beyond Thunderdome. It financed it. So you know, it was a big player. It was directed by Bruce Beresford. Now, Bruce Beresford was virtually unknown until Breaker Moran. Then he came over here and started doing all these you know, high, you know, uh, highbrow movies in America. Um, he did uh, uh, the one with um, Robert Duvall, Tender Mercies. And he also um, directed a Best Picture Oscar winner, um, Driving Miss Daisy.
0: Okay. So and he's done
1: a lot of other movies. He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yes. By way, I don't love either of those movies. Yeah that there's a good reason i i, I like driving the stacy tender mercies a little boring uh, Do you're right it's a little arid sounds like something <laughs> you would recommend <laughs> oh
0: man coming to the quick coming coming off the
1: heels of you recommending in all time great movie in this one breaker moran right around breaker around it was written by three guys uh one of them was bruce Beresford. for the other ones uh jonathan hardy and david stevens i have to admit i, I i'm not familiar with them it received one Oscar nomination adapted screenplay, which it, uh, you know, which it really deserved. Um, it, it, it lost to Ordinary People. Uh, Alvin Sargent adapted uh, you know, a Judith Guest uh, uh, book. It stars Edward Woodward. Now, I don't know if any, not too many people know Edward Woodward. He, he plays Breaker Moran. Yeah. And uh, he's probably best known for American audiences for playing uh, The Equalizer. On the TV show. He, he starred in that, oh, that CBS show, okay. The Equalizer, on which the Denzel Washington movie oh, was, was okay. based. Also, Jack Thompson and a very young Brian Brown. I don't okay. know who that is. Brian Brown became a big, well, a semi big star over in the United States with, uh, he, he played Tom Cruise's buddy in Cocktail. Really? That's him. Wait, he, the young kid is the guy who kills himself in Cocktail? Yes, he's the bartender. No
0: way. Yep. The young And this
1: ki- this was in the 80s, so this was only a few years later. Cuz uh, Cocktail aged- was like 88. Boy, he aged badly. Well, you know, you go out in the Australian sun. He's and, and an really- old he's an old man in Cocktail. <laughs> he looks very young here. He looks very young. How is this possible? He <laughs> aged like 10 like 3 decades in 8 years. <laughs> I think I read somewhere that maybe Breaker Marant... Uh, maybe I'm getting this confused, but like it was sh- a shot maybe a couple of years before and sat on the shelf. I might be mistaken on that. It's not enough. That. Listen, no. I love Cocktail. I watched it as a kid. Oh, please don't say that. I watched please it as a kid on the oh, USA
0: Network on like a Friday night when I was up past <laughs> my bedtime. And it was one of those movies,
1: you're like, I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> guilty pleasure. It's yeah. a guilty pleasure. He was also in um, The Thornbirds. Birds. And I don't know if you've heard of the novel. It was a huge novel in the early 80s, and it mm-hmm. became this gigantic miniseries. Okay. And it really propelled his career. Also, a really nifty thriller, and maybe this is, have you ever heard of FX? The network? No, no, the, the movie, FX. No. FX. no. It's a neat little thriller about a, Brian Brown plays a, um, a special effects artist, a movie special effects artist, who gets wrapped up in a, in a murder. It's really an ingenious thriller. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll cover it. Okay, uh, one other fact
0: about this movie: uh-huh. uh, the best movie ever to have the absolute worst title, <laughs>
1: Breaker Morant, is an awful title. Makes- I, I hate I hate movies where it's it's you're not sure if you're pronouncing it correct, and it's a Morant Morant. I you know it, it just drives me make crazy. Sense. One last thing about Jack, Jack Thompson: Yeah, he a good Australian actor, and he made a couple of American movies. He also appeared in this movie called. Um, uh the man from snowy river which is a beautiful looking movie a wonderful very underrated movie this is the first film ever to get a nomination a first australian movie ever to get a nomination at the Cannes film uh-huh. festival it was nominated for palm Dorn, won best supporting actor the very first time they gave the supporting actor and uh uh that's it boy you're really really coming with
0: a lot of stats today yeah i, was, I, I, I brung it all right Let me summarize the plot real quickly. This takes place in the year 1900, I believe, during the Boer War, which is a war between the British Empire and the Dutch colonials of South Africa. So this is really crazy. This is a situation in which... One group of colonists <laughs> are pretending to be the indigenous pe- indigenous people of a land they themselves have colonized, who are fighting for their "quote unquote" freedom against another colonial power. I mean, talk about this is just some weird, ironic. Uh, boy, the year twenty twenty would tear this one apart. Right? Oh, absolutely! Uh, you couldn't you could make this movie now. No, um, I mean just just the idea of you know, of of colonizing an area. Uh, Pretty brutal colonization. And, and then saying, well, no, no, we're the indigenous people of this place, and these <laughs> colonizers are oppressing us. So anyways, it takes place during the Boer War, which even the, which even the, the, um, the text sequence that opens up the movie admits is a complicated war <laughs> that makes little sense. By the way, one way to win me over with a movie— is to open up on historical text. Oh my god! When I see historical text opening up a movie, I'm so happy. That's how I knew I was gonna like Gladiator. You know how you know how you lose me?
1: End the movie with these endless um, postscripts. Oh, I love those I too. hate those. I love pre and post scripts, man. That is that is just a classy thing to do, boy. Well, it can be classy, you know, when you, when you tell the fate of the characters. Mm-hmm. But when you start. Um, now i don't want to get too political but when you start uh using those postscripts as uh you know political statements mm-hmm. that drives me crazy all right so anyways there's this unit of um basically i
0: would it, it's a military unit of the british empire which is staffed mostly by australian soldiers and their job is to go out in the wilds the kind of like almost the deserts of south africa and track down these dutch boer um guerrilla warriors and what happens is there are these three Australian soldiers. One of them is named Brayker Morant. He's the head of the unit. And they're tracking down a group of guerrilla um soldiers who have massacred their their top commanding officer, a guy named Captain Hunt or something like that. And they've mutilated his body. They've, they've carved him up. So this unit goes out. They track down the guerrilla units that murdered their captain. And they essentially... Execute, start executing the, the prisoners of war they find on the spot. They just they they begin sum, summarily executing these guys without any trial. Um, and what happens is the British Empire, and this is all explained in the movie by some of the highest uh, commanding officers, are looking to end the Boer War. They want to come to a peace conference. They want this whole thing to be over because this war is a disaster. And one way they believe they'll be able to get the Boers to come to the peace conference table is to take three British officers, who are in fact not British, but Australian, and this is a good point, because this plays into the whole idea of Australians are second-class citizens within the British Empire. So they find three of the people from this unit, and they charge them with murder. Murder for the execution of these Boer prisoners, these guerrilla prisoners, without trial. So the movie is about the trial of these three Australian officers in the British army who have been hunting down Boer uh, guerrilla units and they are now being tried for murder because they have executed um these 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 guerrilla warriors uh who are prisoners of theirs without any kind of trial and at the same time in this trial they have a lawyer who's this Australian and of course it does the old trope of he's never tried a case before in <laughs> front of any kind of jury whatsoever but I think he's a civil attorney yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. No, he said he he was a solicitor in Australia right. who never even brought anything to trial but of course he's amazing. He's an incredible <laughs> lawyer from the start. You just get the sense this guy's a born arguer and at the same time The uh, motivations behind this trial are entirely political. These guys are condemned before the trial even starts because all the power parties involved want these guys dead. They're going to be used as sacrificial lambs to end this war. Steve, have I missed anything?
1: Uh, No, I think, uh, once again, you did a terrific uh, 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 job of summing up. The... uh, Apparently, Germany is about to enter the war on the side of the Boers, or could. There's sympathetic to them. another big reason why. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe they're, they're going to lend aid to them. This is predating World War One, very slightly. And yeah, I'm the, using Germany. I'm probably should be using Prussia. Prussia, exactly. Yeah. And, well, they
0: they use Germany. You know what? They are Germany. They are Germany by this point. They are. They unif- coalesced around they're unified, the Kaiser. They're I unified. They're unified Germany yeah. at this point. Yeah, and um, um. So the point is, World War One is very much looming in the horizon and the tensions between england and germany are rising Mm -hmm. and the germans are looking to get in the boer war just to fight the british
1: yeah yeah they're they're itching for um Mm -hmm. you know the fruits of 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 their their newfound power yeah they they, the higher-ups have transferred some of the witnesses (laughs) you know it's 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 kind of ridiculous uh i think the uh, trial lawyer played by jack thompson the defend the defense lawyer. He gets the case the night before. Yeah, <laughs> and he has he hasn't read anything, so he has to spend, stay all uh, spend the whole and, night. And the prosecutor said six weeks to prepare. Yes, yes.
0: Here's what I want to say about this movie. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most morally complex movies I've ever seen, and here's why. The protagonists of the film are guilty as sin. Two of the three. Two of the it's three. It's unquestionable. That's right. Yes. That's right. Two of the three of these guys: Breaker Morant his not his second in command but kind of like his his rough and ready hatchet man so to speak yeah. are guilty as sin yes. they have been degrading themselves in this war um it's such a brutal guerrilla war that they have res- they have they have resorted to brutal guerrilla tactics in order to win it, which you get which you get the sense later on has been entirely encouraged by the British Empire. All their tactics have been encouraged, but now that they're trying to end the war, they're going to use these three as sacrificial uh, lambs for the peace conference to say, you know, we're so sorry that this occurred, and this is a gesture of good faith, we're going to try and convict these three men for these heinous crimes with which we do not condone, even though they've condoned it the whole time. Now, the writer of this movie, or maybe the director, I can't remember, he has a quote in which he said he was shocked how audiences felt that these guys were innocent, when in fact he never meant to imply that. They are completely guilty. And yet, you
1: cannot help but root for them to get away with it, so to speak. This is an age-old, I don't want to say problem, but an issue with movies where the director sympathizes with the plight of somebody who is morally questionable. Yeah. You know, every movie from, uh, you know, well, even Kramer versus Kramer where they, they, they swore Mm -hmm. this movie. We take the side of both the man and the woman were very fair. And yet we know who, what side. Yeah. The filmmakers are on. This is completely different, but you do feel, you almost want something to come along because of the conventions of the genre. You want something to come along that proves them absolutely, there's something there that excuses them. The defense attorney makes an argument, okay? And it is almost the exact opposite argument of the next film we are going to review. These movies are are right. very similar, and they're almost polar opposites in the conclusions they come to. So the director of the film said
0: that the point of the film was to show how these types of circumstances can change ordinary men and basically, um, you know, create a brutality in them that did not exist before. Nonetheless, you're rooting for them to beat the rap. Yes. yes. And and by the way, the defense attorney admits they're guilty that they have executed these guys without trial. His only defense for them is that they were following the orders of their superiors all the way up the line, which, by the way, they were. They were following orders, which in themselves were not official orders. And that's the problem. There's absolutely no record of the orders, even at the very top. It is an understood agreement passed down orally that they
1: will no longer be taking prisoners of war. But if 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 the if the phrase "get it in writing" it would ever yeah. help somebody, it would be these guys because everywhere they turn, every every attempt they try to make to substantiate that these orders came from the top, yeah, and that is you know summary executions for guerrilla warfares who are wearing um who are disguising themselves yeah. in our uniforms, which happens uh in in one instance. They can't find anybody. Yeah. They can find... And it's, it's only rumors up. And this, this was an issue that they tackled in A Few Good Men, too. Yeah, no. Um, so th- I'm, I decided not to do A Few Good Men in my
0: bad pitches because <laughs> the movies are so similar. They're too similar. Um, mm. This is A Few Good Men. Those guys were guilty. But they followed orders. Only yes. the difference is because Aaron Sorkin is a hack. The bad guy <laughs> had to get caught. You yeah. know, he had, to, he had to incriminate himself, even though, you know, obviously a four-star general who's risen that far in the ranks would never incriminate themselves in a trial. <laughs> um,
1: but now, this- I'm, now I'm going to play the douche and, and correct you say it, Yeah, I think it was Lieutenant Colonel. But uh, anyway. What? <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Markinson. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I deserve that. I totally deserve it. It's so, so I watched that movie so many times because I love the dialogue. But yeah. you're right. Um, This movie's far superior. We're going to talk about Aaron Sorkin in your next movie. Okay. This,
0: movie, this movie is far superior, by the way, to A yes. Few Good Men. Oh, yes. Let's talk about why we like this movie for a second. I'm just going to throw two things out there, mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you riff. First of all, unbelievable cinematography. Good Lord. Some of the shots they get, you know they waited all day for. There's a very important sequence at the end, which I am not going to give away, yeah. where they waited... For the sun to go down as it was going down. The red sun. This is a shot you have to wait for. And you've got to rush when you're shooting that. Now you're rushing to make sure you get what you need. Um, So the cinematography in this movie is otherworldly. I'm trying to think of what does it remind me of? Um... It almost reminds me of Unforgiven, or Unforgiven reminds me of this. There's very
1: sort of similar shots. There's a shot of one of the- This movie has a a feel of a Western. And a look of a Western. They're on the- This is, you know, before a lot of motorized transportation. They're on the horses a lot.
0: Okay, so first thing, cinematography. Second thing, script. There is crackling dialogue in this. This is a witty movie. This is not an entire- This is a drama with lots of- Incredibly funny lines
1: that are so witty and crackling uh steve what why do you like this movie? why did you pick it I, I i thought the the storytelling was absorbing. The characters are really deep okay oh yeah the edward woodward character he's actually british
0: breaker morant uh
1: breaker morant yeah. he the, the character is actually british he but is. he's been living in Australia for like eighteen years he's and been, been considered an Australian. gone native i guess yeah is that's what, what they, they say, say gone native oh is that? I, I, and uh he he um He's a complex man. He's a, uh, somebody described him as a renaissance man. He sings opera, he writes poetry, he loves poetry. and He's yet, a civilized man. He is a civilized That's man. That's important. Yes, it is, because he, he he's a kind of man who you would never expect to turn brutal and vicious. Which is what he does. <clears throat> Unquestionably vengeful. There is a scene where he is following the letter of the law in that, the person he finds yeah. the person he finds is wearing the uniform of actually they call him the khaki uh, hunt yeah. h- his, he, his, his best yeah. friend but you get the sense that he would have shot him anyway, but this is a nice convenient way to 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 wreak uh, re- vengeance but you 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 kind of repel from his um his vengeance yeah but you also sympathize with it when he finds the Boer soldier wearing the jacket they
0: call it the khaki um the idea is any any Boer soldier wear, caught wearing the khaki is to be executed, but only if they are using it to deceive. That's
1: true. That's a good point. I forgot about
0: not that. Not if they're just wearing it to keep warm. And in yeah. fact, when he finds this guy and he's convinced that this is the guy who killed his friend, which by the way, I think the scene is plain, It is not him. I do not think that's the guy. Um, they they never make it clear. Uh, one yeah. of the soldiers says he's just wearing the jacket to keep warm because a lot of the soldiers are not with Breaker Morant on this. And you, this is a scene. This is the most villainous scene of Breaker Morant um, in terms of the character himself, not the film. This is why I hate the title of the movie. This is the scene when you repel from the character the most, mm. when he's at his most brutal and most vicious. And it's not the only scene where he's like that, but this is the one where you say, "Oh, this guy's." He's
1: he's unchained. You almost hope that he he, he brings himself back. Yeah, but he. You, you're almost expecting him to bring himself. Okay, wait a minute. Maybe I'm too hot headed. But no, no. He seeks his vengeance, and he, and he, I think and he, there's a shot of him regretting it. it a little bit. No, I do not get that. I do not. I don't. After this, it happens, after it happens. No, I, I don't get the sense bit. he ever regretted
0: it until mm-hmm. the end. I don't think at any point in the movie does he regret his actions. And I think this is the point that this guy who is this Renaissance man poet opera singer, self-described pagan, right, which is a very Renaissance man thing to say, um, I don't think for a second he once regrets his actions, and the point is to show what war does to men, and that even those
1: men are too far gone to be self-reflective. I think that he regrets his actions, but he would still do it again. Maybe. Now that's a, that's a little that you know I might be splitting splitting hairs. It's also subjective. We won't know. I might have been misinterpreting what the actor was trying to convey after he executes them. Maybe he was just re- feeling regret at the whole situation. Um, but I I get the feeling that he would he would absolutely do it again under the same circumstances. Well, I have a question. You said these characters are very deep.
0: Do you think Breaker Morant, considering the name of the movie is titled after his character, is developed enough? To me. He's actually a little underdeveloped, and I wonder if they're doing that to create this sort of mythic idea of him—who he was versus who he is now—and how they don't. Everyone's kind of having a hard time, um, you know, putting together these two parts: the man who's done what he's done versus the man they've heard about. And I don't—I feel that he's actually the less developed character of the of two of the three guys on trial. The other guy, who is this like poor Australian guy, he's. He's kind of like almost like a petty grifter of ways. He's just a dude who joined the uh, the British Army to put food on his table for his wife and son. Who, by the way, he doesn't seem that particularly fond of when he leaves. And all he wants to do is run around and chase women. And you know, he that's the Brian Brown character. I guess he says the worst part about dying is no more girls. (laughs) You know, so he's not. You know, that guy feels actually more developed than Breaker Morant. And I right, wonder. I, I think
1: the opposite. I, I think he was more. Um, he might be more, more two dimensional. He in, might be uh, more,
0: more one note, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's more developed. Breaker Morant doesn't get as much screen time for the title of a movie you would think. You know, the movie's titled after him. and he He's the
1: center of the movie, no question about it. But he that. doesn't get the most screen time. No, the
0: lawyer is the main character. The lawyer is.
1: The lawyer's the real protagonist the He gets the showy the parts. He definitely gets the showy parts because he gets to stand up and, and, yeah. and make his case. And he, he gets those great reversals, like Tom Cruise got in mm-hmm. A Few Good Men, where he, where he displays his cleverness. But I think that the center, the moral center of the movie, I and mean, there is some absence of morality there, yeah. is the Breaker Morant character. Well, let's, let's talk about the lawyer. Okay. All right. Played well, by Jack Thompson, yeah.
0: The the movie's trying to pull a rope a dope on you in the beginning.
1: The movie's trying to make you think
0: that this lawyer has no idea how to lawyer. You know, he tells the guys he's never tried a case before when he first meets them. When he's in court, he uh the first thing he does is file a motion to uh have the entire case dismissed, you know, on some technicality, which is just never gonna happen. And his papers are all amiss, he's rustling through all his papers, he's giving the audience every indication he doesn't know what he's doing. And on the very first witness, he cross-examines, he kills the guy. He eviscerates he the eviscerates logic. He eviscerates He is a born arguer. <laughs> this guy is a crack lawyer. You couldn't have a better guy on your case. And not only that, he deeply cares because he's sort of fighting this notion that these guys are Australian second-class sacrificial lambs to the British Empire, which I think the movie is very much also suggesting, despite the fact it is not denying their guilt.
1: This, this movie, I think, was designed to uh, generate debates about morality. So let's start. Okay, Okay. Great. Let's do it. Is the movie's main point, not that uh, they should be, that, that, that the two, two of the three characters who are tried for murder, are, you know, we should sympathize with them and they should be let off because it's understandable. I, I think at one point... During the during the closing arguments, he says something—the uh, the defense uh, attorney says something very disturbing. He says, we can't judge these men until we go through the pressure and the—there um, uh, there was, there was another— It's another a horrible reference. defense of the atrocities
0: committed by war. Yeah. He actually makes the point that you can't judge soldiers, which is
1: not true at all. Yes. It is a horrifying um, repudiation— of a, of a of a jury trial. And it's, this is an absolute This is a great
0: example that we'll get into the next movie about a lawyer using immoral arguments
1: to maybe prove a maybe moral case. <laughs> but but the question is, is that the point of the case or is the point of the case, the uh, point of the movie uh, more you can you can railroad a guilty person. It is possible to railroad a guilty person. And the system, it was a corrupt trial and should never have uh, taken place the way it took place. You should have had all the witnesses available. You should have been given him more uh, time to prepare. So here's what I'd like to say. And this is
0: part of the reason I love this movie so much. And you know I don't usually care about movies I agree with or that philosophically align with me. I'm very different than you in this way. Where I can, it doesn't. A movie I may disagree with, with the exception of The Devil Wears Prada, which I think is um, the most immoral movie ever made, it's right above every Nazi film and Birth of a Nation is actually The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, remember, uh, letters to Sam Levine, not Steve Carell. Remember, I am Jewish. I am Jewish, and I'm telling you, The Devil Wears Prada is a type of movie Hitler would have loved. He would have loved it more than the than the movies he himself made or or produced. Anyways, um here's why i love this movie so much it aligns with a philosophy that i have that i feel that very few people on this earth subscribe to which is in many situations everybody can be in the wrong every single person that there can be every single party working completely in the wrong and a great example of that would be like uh the crimea Right? The Crimea was a great news example where everybody just immediately took the side of the Ukrainians. They said that this, these, poor Ru- these poor Ukrainian people are being invaded by the Russians, right? When in fact the people of the Crimea were Russian, they spoke Russian. Most of them were. Most of them. They, these are Russian people. The Crimea is a Russian land, okay? But the, and it was given to the Ukraine yes. by a mostly drunk Khrushchev, <laughs> literally because he was Ukrainian.
1: Yes.
0: Now, there was a coup in the Ukraine. The, the sympathetic Russian government of Ukraine was overthrown by an anti-Russian federation government. And one of the very first things that new government did was to say that the speaking of Russian in government offices and schools was illegal, which is exactly what they spoke in the Crimea. So the people of the Crimea got very scared and they essentially invited over the Russians, who were, by the way, Putin was very much saying, oh, this is great. I'm going to get some land here, right? This was an example of everybody being in the wrong. But we as a society had to create white hat, black hat. These guys are good and these guys are bad. There has to be a villain and a hero. Do you think this movie
1: does that? No, I feel that this movie is condemning everybody, including the lawyer. It's showing the respect for the audience to sort things out. That's right. Mm -hmm. And in
0: my mind, I loved that this movie was... Understood human beings enough to say you can have a situation in which there are 10 conflicting views and all of them are wrong. <laughs>
1: oh boy, that warms my heart. I wish that were true. Okay. I wish that were true. But I think from the filmmaker's stance, and maybe I was wrong because I didn't know that quote uh, that, that you came away with, that um, they believed in some of the uh, arguments that the defense attorney was making. They kind of believe does. They're convincing, but mm-hmm. they're not good. <laughs> no, they're very convincing, and that. But but there, there, there's no contradiction. There's no moral contradiction. There's no. There, there, there's no. There's no questioning his summation, and they could have done that, and, and they didn't, which leads you to believe maybe maybe they do think that uh you know you can't judge a soldier until you've you know walked in his when his. I don't uh, believe that. A because of the quote of the filmmaker. And B, because the prosecutor. Now, let's say you didn't read the quote, though. Maybe you're left adrift with this, and, yeah. and it's one of the last things he says, uh, summing up. And and the, the 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 last couple of scenes we we spend with the condemned when they get their sentences. And well, don't say nothing. I, I, I well, I, let's not give this one away. The, the movie doesn't end with the verdict. What I'm saying is there yeah. are still some vital scenes. Yeah. But I don't want to give um, away and the ending. I won't give away the ending, but right. they're they're um they're they're very sympathetic, I think. Absolutely sympathetic, and you would get left with the sense that the filmmakers feel that um there has been an injustice to these two men, and in the sense there have been. Yeah, here's but why. only in the process. They weren't
0: they weren't judged by the merits of their guilt. It was never about the merits that of their guilt. That is true. That is so, true. But this is the point. They were guilty, but the reason they were tried to begin with, had nothing to do with their guilt. And you get the sense that if they were innocent, they still would have gotten railroaded. It would not have mattered. And that's going to go into my bad pitches in a second. (laughs) Um, But I do get the sense that this movie is even, it's so interesting because, all right, let's, I'm going to give the the filmmaker more credit than maybe he deserves. Let's use the lawyer. This is a guy who over the course of of this trial makes worse and worse arguments more morally repugnant arguments as he goes along at some point he literally says he can't judge soldiers for anything they do which is insane I mean imagine saying that unless ab-
1: you are also yeah soldier. imagine saying that he, about he the accuses, Nazis you know yeah, like- he, he, yeah he accuses the uh, the defense of trying to try it like a civil I mean like a, cit- a, a citizen's trial or, or yeah. you know outside the military um, and yet it is a military courtroom I don't know what he's yeah. talking about um, it almost sounds like I'm wrapping my own uh, pick, but <laughs> this movie has a lot of complex layers, and they respect the audience not to tie it up in a bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It's one of those rare movies that leaves a little. Um, if I can quote uh, uh, a movie, a splinter in your mind. Yeah, yeah. A, a moral splinter in your mind. Quote the Matrix. By the way, it's also
0: based off a play, and I'm always shocked when I see a movie based off a play that is so cinematic. Yes, they're really. You know, what's a great example? of a movie based off a play that looks like a fucking play and is not cinematic (laughs) is glengarry glenn ross that is a that is a horribly directed movie i know people like that movie but it's actually horribly directed it's who directed that i don't know and he's terrible like it's it's just one of the worst it just it looks and feels like a play and that's not to its credit Mm. this movie shocked me that was based
1: off a play and i should not have been shocked Mm. That's how well directed it is. And I knew from It the, wasn't self consciously opening up. Like, well, let's, let's take some scenes outside. Yeah, yeah this is one of those yeah. few courtroom dramas where a lot of it, most of the movie is shot outside. He's smart. <laughs> He's smart. And, and I knew it was going to be. It
0: feels na- very natural. I knew it was going to be well directed from the very first mm-hmm. shot. I knew it was going to be well directed when he, I noticed that he was framing some of his shots with the fact in mind he was going to put credits next to them. He was like putting some close ups of the faces on the far left edge of the frame because he knew he was going to put text on the right edge of the frame that 's a guy who's thinking ahead
1: Beresford is is, is a fine director and he, he's i haven 't seen a better Bruce Beresford movie than, than this. Steve was he some, was part of those Austra- that huge Australian wave that i 've talked about before with Peter Weir, yeah, you know, and Fred Sheppey all coming over to the United States after making fantastic movies. Can I tell you something? fantastic you know, stuff? This is going to sound like such an
0: awful hack thing to say. Uh-huh. My favorite foreign films are Australian movies. Man, they know how to make movies, don't boy. they? I can't tell you how much I love Australian films. I just do, man. Like I'm so ha- every time I see an Australian movie, I just say, "Yep, this makes sense."
1: Australian, <laughs> like there's Gallipoli, Year of Living Dangerously, The Proposition, which
0: is one of my yes. favorite movies. Are these more guys, recent one, far more yeah, recent one? But they have they have really good Animal
1: Kingdom that's a fantastic one too. There's
0: yeah. another one that's really good um about that prison break from that terrible Australian prison. I can't remember the name of it. Um I definitely with that. It's it's the name of a uh, it's the name of the wilds of Australia. All right, Steve, let's do some quotes real quick, okay? Okay. This, this movie's got them. Give me some. Okay.
1: Uh Early on in the movie, they enlist this guy to be the prosecutor, mm-hmm. and he's kind of naive, very, very patriotic. Yeah, and they lay it out to them, saying that uh, you know the Germans could come in on this war on the side of the Boers, and that they just want this place, f- f- you know, for what they can get. And the the, um, the you're prosecuting prosecuting my attorney, you're stealing my oh, Sorry, the prosecuting attorney says. They lack our altruism, which is it just it's just lazy. On my phone,
0: that's the first thing I wrote. <laughs> they
1: lack our altruism, sir. And which it is such a it's such a cynical thing. He he doesn't he's say he's joking. With, he doesn't say I don't no, think he's, not, he's being sarcastic. He's the,
0: so the prosecutor oh, I, I think he's naive and I think no, he believes it. I him. disagree. You know what I like about the prosecutor in this uh-huh. film? He's not a villain. He's not a villain in this film. He's quite even handed.
1: I like. You think that was a slap down to them? Yes. You know, um, I just don't think they were smart enough to uh-huh. realize it. <laughs> you you got, it slipped it past them, huh? Yeah. Um, I'll have to look that. I'll have to look that over because it, I had to look at it because I wasn't sure. Because he says it with sincerity, but sure, you might be right. You might be right. But it is a great line. Yeah, it's fantastic from the filmmaker's point of view. It was meant to be pure cynicism. Yeah, absolutely. You got any others? Uh, that, that's the one that comes to mind. But the the other one where he says. And I had written it down here, and I'm not going to bother the audience, yeah. but he said you, you, have to, um, you have to walk, unless you're under the kind of pressure, yeah. and I think he said prerogatives or something like yeah. that, you can't tell, you can't judge him. And yeah. I find that completely horrifying, and I hope that they, they realize you know, that, that that is a debasement to mm. the entire Western legal system. To say so, that, so I already said worst part about dying no more girls, but I got one more quote. I had three <laughs>
0: quotes, right? Okay. And this isn't giving you anything away. So during the trial, all right, just bear with me. I'm not, not giving anything away, but during the trial, they notice the 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 three prisoners, the three men on trial notice uh two men building their coffins, and and then <laughs> okay. so so the uh one of the guys says to breaker morant. Um, they could have had the decency to measure us first, and then Raker Morant says, "I don't reckon they've had many complaints."
1: complaints. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind. That's the kind of wittiness that Aaron Sorkin injects in his movies. But they're showoffy. Yeah. Here, it was perfect. It was laid out. It ju- it just made sense. It, it was it was terrific. Steve, all right, So, do you have any questions for me about this movie before we get into bad pitches? Because we're gonna have to do the next movie soon. Actually, we kind of uh, we kind of hit this. I was gonna ask well, what was the true nature. Of the injustice, yeah, you know, and we have covered a lot of a lot, a lot of these things. Um, oh, I found this pressures and provocations. Okay. That's what he said. Uh, unless you've experienced the pressures uh, and provocations, yeah, in a way that there is a there is a logic to that, but you have to. No matter what the circumstances somebody went through, because most people yeah. don't kill, and yeah. therefore, you know. They are they're still suitable to judge. We could
0: go two hours on the nature of war and the effects on the man, on men's souls. We're yes. not going to do that.
1: Okay. We are going to do bad pitches. Steve, okay. what's yours? Um, Paths of Glory meets Crocodile Dundee. Okay, all right. So for starters, <laughs> that was one of my bad pitches that I decided not, really that I decided
0: not to do because <laughs> I was too. Uh, I said to myself, you know what, Sam? <laughs> just because be they're Australian. <laughs> don't be obvious. Don't go with Crocodile Dundee. You had no such shame. No, none, none whatsoever. Yeah. Even though, aside from being Australian, they have nothing to do with each other. And then, and then- That's why it's a bad pitch. Right. But yeah, it's a good point. But then when I thought of my next pitch, I said to myself, oh boy, you've really done it here, Sam. You've done a good job. (laughs) Lay on me. It's Paths of Glory, of course, Uh meets my cousin Vinny. And the reason I've gone the reason the reason I good yeah. I I concede that yeah, that the, is the, the reason I've gone with my cousin Vinny <laughs> is that it is the exact same tr- lawyer trope this lawyer has yes. never tried a case and yet from the get-go he's an incredible lawyer boy this guy is not an... By the way I wanted to say something I'm so jealous that you came up with that and I didn't I wanted to say something. <laughs> remember when you were doing movies we could have done Uh-huh we could not have done my cousin Vinny But I watched it recently, and I'm just going to recommend it. My Cousin Vinny is a fantastic movie. It is, you could not write a better movie for general audiences. You just couldn't do it. If you want to make a feel-good, funny movie for the general audiences, you could not do better than My Cousin
1: Vinny. It is a perfect script. That is a 30-year-old movie. Yeah. And this is one of those old movies. It's mm-hmm. not that not as old as Gone with the Wind that like we were talking about before. This is one of those old movies that constantly get played every Saturday, every weekend on uh, USA or TBS. so good. It's, people love it. By
0: the way, many... Uh scholars of law and lawyers and trial lawyers agree that my cousin Vinny is one of the most accurate depictions of trials ever in movies, which I found really surprising. It's all over the internet about how all these people praise my cousin Vinny for really understanding the law and trial law and like the protocols that are involved Mm -hmm. because every time he doesn't know something, he's corrected by the judge and the other lawyer with accurate like, um, knowledge of like here's how trials are conducted and here's what you can and cannot do. Because, you know, obviously so many movies, probably uh, a few good men, chief amongst them, have <laughs> no idea. Now, you and I both came to Paths of Glory because it was obvious. Yes. The parallels between these movies. If you haven't seen Paths of Glory, it's three soldiers are chosen as sacrificial lambs for the French government actually
1: during World War I. Um, anything else to say about this world-class movie? Yeah. Kubrick should, Kubrick would have also done a wonderful job on breaker Moran because it it, would have been, it would, it wouldn't have had any, you wouldn't have had any any sympathy for anybody. (laughs) Before we, before we
0: move on, I want to say one thing about *Breaker Moran. Those guys, those three condemned men had two opportunities to escape. Uh, one time when their prison was attacked by the Boers. And in fact, a great scene that was. A little silly, honestly. A little but if s- it really happened, isn't that amazing? There's no way that really happened. There's no way that really happened. It was meant to show that even un- even under it, a- even when they're under trial for their lives, they're still gonna fight. They're pure patriots. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is horseshit. Um, <laughs> and then another time, where one of the commanding officers of Breaking Morant says, "You know, the guards are sympathetic to you, and if you want to escape, you can." And he won't do it. Oh boy, I tell you, Sam Levine, I'm leaving. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Like, I cannot understand sticking around. <laughs> I just, I never buy it. am like, no, no, yeah, I'll see ya. If I have to go to jail, Steve, for 48 hours, I am fleeing the country. <laughs> Let me tell you, you will never see me again. I will be a fugitive the rest of my life rather than spend 48 hours in jail. Then
1: maybe you should stop your embezzlements, you know. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had money to embezzle. Let me get the money first. <laughs> you hear that, please? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm right there with you. I, I would be shown the door. But in, in other words, it's another way that they're sort of idealizing these men who committed terrible atrocities. Yeah, it's, it's just horseshit. You know? That's all. It was the one thing I thought was horseshit. <laughs> all right, any other final thoughts on this movie before we move on? No, but I, I think it's, it's, a good,
0: it's, a, it's a terrific movie. Okay. Well worth it. The next movie was my pick. It's not really a hidden gem, but at this point, maybe it is. Um, It's based on a little event you might have heard of uh, called the Holocaust. (laughs) And this is a feel-good movie of the year. And this movie is Judgment at Nuremberg.
1: Before the people of the world, let it now be noted that here in our decision, this is what we stand for. Justice. Truth. Truth and the value of a single human being. Where were we? Where were we when Hitler began shrieking his hate and Reichstag? Where were we when our neighbors were being dragged out in the middle of the night to Dachau? Where were we when they cried out in the night to us? Were we deaf? Dumb? Blind? I'm going to go the limit. And not you, not the Pentagon, not God on his throne is going to make Who do you do think it. you're talking to? Who the hell do you think you're talking to?
0: My husband was a military man all his life. He was entitled to a soldier's death. He asked for that, that he should be permitted the dignity of a firing squad. You know what happened.
1: He was hanged with the others. It is easy to condemn the German people to speak of the basic flaw in the German character that allowed Hitler to rise to power, and at the same time, comfortably, ignore the basic flaw of character that made the Russian sign pacts with him, Winston Churchill praise him, American death profit by him. There is nothing like your trying to make it sound. Did you sit on his lap? Stop it! Stop it! What else do you admit to, Mrs. Wall? What else? Hello? I, I want that you tell me. Was she feeble-minded? My mother! I feel it is my duty to point out to the tribunal that the witness is not in control of his mental processes. I know I am not since that day. I've been past I've ever been. Okay, Steve so you got any facts on Judge Nuremberg? Yes, the um, Judgment of Nuremberg weighs in at um, one weighs minute in. shy of three hours. Um, you know, get your popcorn, uh, lots of popcorn. It was released December 19th, 1961. If it was released 20 years later, I would say it was, you know, a, kind of the, the Oscar season. I don't know if they had an Oscar season back then. It was released by United Artists, and it was a hit. It cost $3 million. It made $10 million. It was directed by Stanley Kramer, a very famous middle-brow director, who made, very famous for making well-intentioned movies that were never really considered masterpieces. His heart was always in the right place. He just lacked the skill to break through among, not even the top, but the you know, secondary. He, he directed you know, uh, The Defiant Ones, On the Beach, Inherit the Wind. He also did A Mad, 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 Mad World, which I think has a lot more s- cynical social commentary that people give credit for. It was written by Abby Mann, a famous playwright and screenwriter. Did a lot of did a lot of TV movies and mm-hmm. TV miniseries. And it all had kind of you know the social conscious, um you know uh, perspective. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards and was one of the few movies to get blanked, being nominated for uh oh no I'm sorry no, it, it, won. it won two Oscars I'm sorry it won yeah. it won best screenplay yeah big uh, yeah and best supporting actor and best actor. Actor or Best actor Either way. for Maximilian yeah. Schell. So now, not, he was a supporting actor. So that's and that's a, one of my questions later winning on. Winning those two
0: awards makes you an unquivocal Oscar success.
1: Yes, that is true. I don't know why I got that. Uh, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about uh, the other two, uh, uh, Otto Preminger's uh, Anatomy of a Murder and Witness for the Prosecution, which did not do well, even though Steve, Steve at your age,
0: runs. it's amazing you're even up. Yes, and thank you.
1: And it's, it's uh, uh, 10 o'clock. Anyway, nice. it stars, it's, it's got six leads. It has six people who regularly led movies, or would. Spencer Tracy, Maximilian Schell, Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Clift, Judy Garland, Marlena Dietrich, and, and uh, in a small role, William Shatner. What a cast of lightweights. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I tried to rent this movie. I had seen it about a month ago. Yeah. Right? I didn't catch the beginning. I'd seen it before. Okay. A couple of times before. Uh, but I wanted to refresh my memory, and I wanted to watch it again. And I rented it on Amazon. And Amazon had Judgment at Nuremberg starring Burt Lancaster. It said right in the uh, in- inducements, yeah. Burt Lancaster. But what I didn't notice is it said 1959. You're talking about the, the teleplay? I got the teleplay that's only a yeah. little more than an hour. Yeah. That movie also was loaded with uh, very high-profile actors. It had Claude Rains It had— uh, um, Oh, oh, gosh. Uh, Paul Lucas, who was an Oscar winner from... So let's talk about this.
0: You cannot stream Judgment at Nuremberg. Why? It's so weird. It's a classic film, and it's not on Amazon Prime. It's not on YouTube. It is not available for streaming. The only way to see this movie is to buy the DVD, which I already owned. Uh Uh-huh. in fact I I'm so lazy I would have rather have just rented the movie and streamed it than search through like my stuff to find my DVDs which I never use anymore but I had to like literally I couldn't find the movie for streaming so I had to go crack open my
1: DVDs Turner Classic Movies plays it practically once a month it's yeah. on heavy rotation United Artists was uh, their film library was bought by MGM and of course Ted Turner bought MGM and he started Turner Classic Movies Maybe there Movies. are proprietary reasons for this I wouldn't think so because uh, you, can, you can find a lot of Turner, uh, you know, movies from the MGM library. Yeah. You can find them on streaming. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I have no idea. And the, the Amazon needs to straighten that out because I was led to believe I was getting something. And it was only $0.99. Cents. Usually it would be yeah. two ninety nine, dollars uh, So it's a little miffed. Let but me, I watched the teleplay. Let me make a recommendation to everybody on this podcast. Um, if
0: you have a library card, there is a streaming service called Canopy, which is free if your library matches its roles and can what if your library is like one of the members of canopy basically um you can watch a huge library of movies streaming for free mm-hmm. you just have to put in your library card number and it's got to match canopy's role so like i joined the dc public library uh-huh just so i could have canopy Come for free on. and canopy has
1: a huge collection of movies that you can stream yeah Oh, you didn't find judgment of Nuremberg on it? Nope. No. <laughs> that's how that's how buried this movie is. Uh-huh. Are there any other facts about this movie before I summarize it? Uh no, no, only that it it had been a uh, TV play and this was c- kind of common in the 50s. Yeah. Uh 50s and 60s. Uh I think um Days of Wine and Roses was first a TV play, I think, and certainly Marty, Marty was a TV yeah. uh before it became a uh, And The Iceman mm-hmm. Cometh has been a TV play
0: multiple times and never been theatrically released, despite what people say. The Iceman cometh. Yeah. Lee, 73? Mar-
1: Lee Marvin's...
0: Was that a- was a TV? TV movie. I
1: thought it was a... Nope. I'll be nope, 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 nope. It's a child. two-parter. It's a two-parter. i Two episodes. When was the last time Network did a uh, Eugene O'Neill adaptation? <laughs> yeah, well, people... <laughs> that was the- probably the last yeah, one. Nobody episode. wants to think that deeply. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, so let me summarize the plot a little bit. Um, <laughs> World War II's ended, and uh, Spencer Tracy... Who I guess he's a judge. He's like an American military Backwards judge. Backwoods judge from Maine, I believe. Backwoods judge from Maine, but he must be part of the military or no, is he civilian? No, okay. He's totally civilian. He's been called to Nuremberg to try all these Nazi war criminals. And the specific case in question here is this German judge who is basically under trial for allowing many of these atrocities to happen under his watch. His well, d- for. Four atrocities. Specifically? No,
1: uh, four judges, right? Four judges, four but judges. the
0: main judge here is Burt Lancaster, right? This is the main judge because he was a pillar of law theory in Germany. Yeah. So, like before um, Nazism came around, this guy was studied in in universities for his, you know. Um, I don't know, his interpretation of law. This guy was considered the top of the top. Ernst
1: Jennings. Yeah, a so, real person.
0: So this is kind of like Breaker Morant. It's how yeah. did this guy fall so low to working with the Nazis, which I think is a little bit more uh, understandable. It was Nazi Germany and you didn't really have much of a choice, um, which, you know, we all like to say, and once again, I'm Jewish, we all like to say, well, I would have been a hero. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, you, you would have you gone along if it meant being alive. If yeah if you if you contradict uh, their their teachings if you if you raised a public fuss they tend to revoke your breathing privileges Yeah quickly.
0: exactly um but anyway so he is being defended by what's the german actor's name Maximilian Schell Maximilian his Schell his sister is a very
1: famous uh, film actress Marie Schell
0: Maximilian Schell is fantastic in this movie he plays a young passionate idealistic german lawyer mm. <laughs> really strange combination of words there <laughs> um and <laughs> he won the Oscar for this film. Never turned into a big star. I've been over his IMDb. It's
1: not. It's not a bunch of heavy hitters. You know, he did this movie, the glass, the man in the glass booth. But the man in the glass booth. Um, that was like seventy five, I think. Yeah. Um, nobody saw that, and yet he, he's he was nominated for two more, two or three more Oscars. Yeah. And they all centered around. I think he was really as an actor, he's passionate about. You know, exposing the Nazis. Man in the glass booth was about, or he um, just saw a lane. <laughs> well, in, in in that movie, he um, I think he played a famous Nazi who who uh, is, is on trial. I think I've never seen it. He was also in Julia, okay, and got an Oscar nomination for supporting actor for that. And that's about you know uh, uh, Lillian Hellman's friend trying to you know um, bamboozle the, the the Nazis. Okay, so what's this movie really about, Steve? I shouldn't say bamboozle. That's that's not the right word. Trying to subvert the Nazis.
0: I've basically said the plot. This is about you know whether or not a German judge is guilty of crimes. He's obviously guilty of right, Mm -hmm. and the trial is being presided by this you know folksy backwoods judge from Maine, played by Spencer Tracy in a very typical Spencer Tracy role, which is a complete moral center. Right, not a not a flaw in this man, really. All right, I'm going to ask one right now. His only now, flaw is maybe uncertainty in himself. His only <laughs> flaw is his humility.
1: This is a Tom Hanks role, if I ever saw it. Yeah, one, right? exactly. And I'm going to ask a question I usually say for the end. Um, Please. How did Maximilian Schell win Best Actor over Spencer Tracy? They were both nominated. Show your role. Yes. Show your role, that's all. There, well, more there, there's, shouting. Um, there's more shouting. There's um a certain cold-bloodedness to his performance yes because he has to prosecute he has to interrogate extremely sympathetic traumatized um, people traumatized people who are traumatized by the nazis he's defending a nazi and he's what what he's doing what he he realizes he has to realize that however effective and some of them technically he, he mops the floor with the witnesses yeah he loses the case because yeah. he is a being a t- he's attacking these victims of the nazis and in in the tv play it's played by the same actor okay. me and chow and he was much more shark-like okay. here um kramer is smart enough to uh, soften the character a little yeah you gotta he isn't quite as condemning he still he wails on these two uh you know uh, uh witnesses but he tries to soften them, tries to appear a little sympathetic, yeah. and then you know stick the knife in where he can. He's trying to win, more than anything else. He's trying to win,
0: um, and in the pursuit of winning, he makes bad arguments. You know, arguments that don't hold water, but they sound effective. And one of his big things is kind of like he's trying to say that outsiders can't understand what happened in Germany, which is horseshit. You know it is the
1: same qu- it's the same case that the prosecutor yeah. uh, uh, attorney but because says. because
0: they're nazis <laughs> it's way more like no that's horseshit, right yeah. like if if the outside world can't judge the nazis who can <laughs> you know like never was there a scenario in which outsiders need to judge a foreign people <laughs> like they never have a foreign people ever been more
1: deserving of judgment by the global community um See, See, they what? branched out. They branched out. They, did, they didn't just savagely slaughter their own Jews. Right. That yeah. wasn't enough.
0: Well, as world— as, Every place as they Norm went As Norm MacDonald once said on uh, the very famous last appearance of Dave Letterman show, the very last Dave Letterman show ever, Norm MacDonald did stand-up, and he did this joke. Because Letterman's a big fan of Norm MacDonald, and so am I.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Norm MacDonald said, you know, they keep trying to get me to be worried about North Korea. North Korea, ooh. He goes, I'm not worried about North Korea. He goes— I'll tell you who I am worried about. I don't know if any of you out there are history buffs, but maybe you heard about this country called Germany. He goes, well, at the beginning of the 20th century, he goes, Germany made a decision. He goes, they decided to go to war, but not just with one other country. No, sir. They decided to go to war with the world. He goes, now you'd think that if a country went to war with the world, uh, the world would make pretty quick work of that country. He goes, but actually, it was pretty close. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, now they lost. He goes, but you'd think that uh, the world would say to Germany, well, Germany, you, you tried to conquer the world. Uh, you don't get to be a country no more. He goes, but in fact, they let them stay a country. And he goes, now here's what's crazy. He goes, after Germany tried to fight the world, almost won and lost, he goes, you know what? We tried to do it again. And he goes, and you know what? Careful, you're going beyond fair yeah. use. But. Yeah. He goes, and again, <laughs> it was close. Yeah, it was close. So, <laughs> so here's my question. What's this movie really about?
1: We kind of understand what Break Morant's about, in my yeah. opinion. What's this movie really about? It's the opposite of one of the reasons Max Shell character um is defending him. At one, there's an there's an intimate scene with him, mm. and I think um, uh, one of the defendants, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Janning, Ernst Janning, who is played by yeah. Burt Lancaster. And he says, um, we, it, w- I don't want Germany to be you know, enslaved and occupied forever. And he says this quote, he says, um, uh, we have to forget in order to move on. Yeah, and I think that's shit. what this movie is about. This yeah. is movie is about not forgetting. Yeah, never forget. Yes. Right, it's,
0: uh, so I kind of feel a little bit like I'll be honest. I l- really like this movie. After your movie, I kind of felt like I picked <laughs> the turd in the ton- in the punch bowl. But to be fair, I think any movie would have been the turd in the punch bowl compared to Breaker Morant, which is such a one of the few courtroom movies that really transcends the genre. The verdict is one of those movies. Generally speaking. Maybe 12 Angry Men. I love that movie. I'm not sure it transcends the genre. If anything, it invents the genre. I think it exploits the genre. Well, but, it uh, can't ex- exploit a genre. It's practically inventing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, this movie certainly does not transcend the genre, although it's a very fine film. Um, yeah, it's... I've got a lot of problems
1: with this movie. Really? Well, let's get into it. How can you attack somebody who... How can you attack a movie that takes all the morally correct positions? It's not easy. But yeah. the fact is, this movie... Is morally explicit. Explain. It, it, what, do you, what does explicit mean? There aren't any shadings. There really aren't yeah. any moral shadings. You gotcha. know, the audience is comforted by the positions you know you you have to take. Not that you're supposed to take that you have to take. Well, let me ask you a question, Steve.
0: They is, never.
1: They never give uh, the Maximilian shell. He is never really formidable tactically, perhaps. Yeah. His arguments are never formidable, okay? Yeah. And it's impossible to have a formidable argument. Yeah. You can't so, make it. So an here's argument. my question. If you're
0: going to be self-righteous, is there uh-huh. ever a time to be more rightfully self-righteous <laughs> than in like, condemning Nazism? It is the easiest thing. It's amazing. It's Don- the easiest thing, but it, it does not make a
1: great movie. It's amazing
0: <laughs> Donald Trump screwed that one up. This movie is speech
1: after speech yeah. of Aaron Sorkin-style speeches yeah. without the jokes. Yeah, okay. that's fair. That, that that is a problem, and it, it gets a little it gets a little windy. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, inherit um, the, the guy made inherit the wind. <laughs> so you know, um, if you want to feel good about hating Nazis, this is a movie for you.
0: Yeah. Look, Breaker Morant knocks this movie on its ass. But to be mm. fair, Breaker Morant knocks most courtroom dramas on their ass. You happen to pick the best courtroom movie i've ever seen bar none one of the best movies i've ever seen very
1: complex it's, it's like going complex.
0: up against honestly it's like going up against the like godfather with uh,
1: judgment at nuremberg mm. <laughs> you know what i mean i will say this for, for the movie the movie's not smug no it's which a good it could movie have been. it it's, could have been smug it's a good and it's entertaining not. film yes and i like it as it's a, a, a great reminder it, 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 it it's a it's a terrific act of civic responsibility yeah, at international international civic responsibility. I totally get. It's also bad. entertaining. It's not it is in the sense. Oh, it, it is. It absolutely is. The only shading is the the Janning character, who is is at the at the well, center. She, he shell's
0: a bit shade. You don't feel like Shell's the villain because sometimes he wins you over. Uh, Am I not supposed
1: to say that? Maybe he doesn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't win me over. Um, maybe at his. Is, uh he, he, I appreciate it. Like Spencer yeah. Tracy says, uh, he says, "Hey, I marvel at your, um, at, at your, at your ability." Yeah, it's just that uh, you know, just because you're logical doesn't mean you're right. But we can give this movie away. Uh,
0: this movie ends with um, Burt Lancaster admitting his own guilt, stopping yes. his own lawyer from conducting <laughs> his own defense. <laughs> I mean, it's it's quite something. Um, you know what this movie is also? Um, you talked about you know civic virtue. This movie also uh, did sort of predated um, Quentin Tarantino in trying to resurrect washed-up movie stars. What? Two. This movie uses two washed-up movie stars. I disagree. All right. Oh, I oh, disagree boy. on that. All right, so so we got. You talking about Marlena Dietrich and no, Spencer Tracy? No, no. Liza Minnelli. Not Liza Minnelli. What's her mother? Oh, Judy, Judy Garland. Judy Garland oh. and Cliff. Mo- is his name Cliff Montgomery? Montgomery Clift. Oh, Montgomery, Montgomery Cliff. Oh. Yeah. So this movie. Uses Montgomery Clift after his
1: terrible car accident. Yeah, although that that had, he had been in several movies after this wasn't his first. So he was a troubled guy, Montgomery Clift. Very much. He was alcohol. He showed up on set to this movie drunk, which a worked because so this character is supposed to be oh,
0: extremely yeah. nervous. Yes, and he plays him. You can tell he's really nervous to even be on set. Right. Yeah. This is like watching of Tom Cruise turned into a shoveled junkie alcoholic and was still acting i mean it, it's really shocking to see if you've seen a movie like red river to see this and then it uses judy what's her name judy garland judy garland judy garland well apparently like, you're right, what, right about right be- the wizard of oz because you yeah. like right before her <laughs> death maybe like how soon did she die after this movie well, this was 61 right and boy she, she died in lo- 67 boy she looks just like liza minnelli in yeah. this this is like she
1: is not old I- she's barely 40 she looks but like barely, she's 55. You're right. She, she, she aged badly. She put on some weight. Yeah. One of my questions was, is, Judy Garland? <laughs> why not? She, she did it. You know what? It's the best scene in the movie. She's in the best scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. And my quote... I think, I think Cliff's, I think Cliff's um, defensiveness. Well, perhaps you should summarize what, what happens. Do you want to summarize well, what happens I'm, really quickly? Um, yeah, so why don't you summarize both, right, both these in, scenes? In, in, in Montgomery Cliff, Montgomery Cliff is it kind of a, a below-average, uh, a man of below-average intelligence. Yeah. And uh, Maximilian Schell, the prosecutor, grills him. Yeah. Uh, the defense, I mean, the, the prosecution uh, calls him because he's an example of sterilization. Yeah, right. Nazi's program of sterilization because he he's was an mentally— inf- he, he was, uh, He's an imbecile. An imbecile. Yeah. He says, I wasn't like this before. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the Maximilian Schell, before he says this line, which is fantastic— he says, "What about your mother? Your mother probably wasn't that bright." And and he, the way he wags his finger, yeah. My mother, it is not true what you, they say. It is heartbreaking. It's the most heartbreaking moment of the whole movie. Yeah, it gives me chills to think how this this man is. He was he was tortured, uh, you know, castrated by the Nazis, and now this this German just going after his mom, going after his mom and him, and he says. I was not like this. I was not the man you see. And then Shell very quietly yeah. and almost sheepishly says, The court doesn't know how you were before. Also, you
0: get the Great sense scene. you get the sense. This is something I love about movies. You get the sense he's it's something I love about acting. Yeah. You get the sense he's talking about himself. You get the sense Montgomery Cliff is talking oh, about it. That himself. did not occur to this me. Is, nice one. I generally nice one. think the method acting is horseshit. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that if you have enough empathy for people, I think that the greatest actors in the world, what they really are, is wonderful um I guess under understanders is that's not a word. These guys have an impeccable understanding of the human of human psychology. I think that most great actors Either I mean, that or they can mimic human understanding. No, because they have to be know. able to interpret scripts, right? Yeah. Like like, Tony, yeah. like, what's his name? Uh, James Gandolfini, you know, he interpreted every script. He he broke it down with his acting coach and said, what's Tony really feeling, yeah. right? It's not on the page there, especially in The Sopranos. None of the emotions are on the page. In fact, everything the character says in The Sopranos is the opposite of how they actually feel. Um. Generally speaking, I think method acting is bullshit. I think that the best actors will generally be like, here's how I think this guy. They, they are creating characters so deeply. I think actors are—I I love bashing actors, but they're <laughs> excellent at understanding people. I really think that a lot of these guys would have gone into clinical psychology and been quite successful.
1: Well, do you think that uh, the method actors like Montgomery Clift and Brando would have been great without the— Without that specific training, I don't
0: think it matters if they're great; they're great. I'm mm-hmm. just simply saying this is a scene because in that's which, given us some bad acting. This acting has given us some bad this acting. This is a scene in which knowing about the actor himself is so great; mm-hmm. it just adds layers because he's talking about himself because he was once this heartthrob, mm-hmm. and now he's this shriveled up has been, quite frankly. Um,
1: this was could, probably the
0: last important movie he made. I mean, this is what Quentin Tarantino has been so smart about: mm-hmm. casting actors who are playing variations of themselves and usually far after their success. I mean, that guy loves resurrecting actors. Mm-hmm. Most, most famous, people forget he resurrected Tom Travolta. Tom mm-hmm. Travolta was doing Look Who's Talking movies. He was, a, he was a complete has-been. And then Pulp Fiction comes around, and his career skyrocketed way
1: more than it ever did with a Saturday Night Fever. He was on the verge of, uh, he was considering getting a job uh, piloting. John Travolta before he got Yeah, When I was a
0: kid, you know, Pulp Fiction had been released, and John Travolta was an A-list star. He was making Mm -hmm. hits, Phenomenon, and all sorts of, you know, Michael, and this guy was making hit after hit.
1: Now he's washed up again. Maybe he needs another Well, because people (laughs)
0: realized he's not talented.
1: That's not true. Well, okay. He's great in primary colors. He is fantastic. Better than anyone thought he would be. He's just not Sean Penn.
0: He's no, not, oh, oh, yeah.
1: oh, he's yeah. not on the same level, not, not, but he, he has a way, I don't know, he's in his younger years, he had a way of conveying that tough kid, you know? He's likable. He really has. He's a likable guy. Yeah, Well, but I now he's, more than that. He's thing. considered a joke now. He's kind of a yes. laughingstock. He has taken some uh, some, some terrible movies, that, that O.J. Simpson movie. Um... He's
0: great in that. Oh, he's so awful. No,
1: he's awful in it, but he's... All right, to be fair, that's a really... I thought he was terrible in okay. that. Okay, he, he was a glaring um, Okay, that's fine. You know
0: what? I take it back. He's not great in it, but I love mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. I take it back. You're right. He's not great in it, but there's a great show, and so it's a good choice he made being in it. I'll give you that. Okay, so
1: why don't you sum up now the other scene? Well, the other scene is about. It's funny too because these two victims that they displayed, none of neither one of them are Jewish. That's right. She the whole. uh, Well, uh, the Jews weren't there. Hmm?
0: The Jews weren't there. No. Yeah. Who who are you gonna find? Well, who are you going to find?
1: <laughs> really? I mean, <laughs> well, that's that, that is a good point. Yeah. Uh, Judy Garland plays uh, this woman who, when she was sixteen, would visit this this elderly Jewish guy, and there uh, and some people around the town thought that there were, it was more than just a friendly mm. association. She felt that he was like a father to her, mm-hmm. but the town being gossipy uh, suggested that it was something sexual, and there they had um, laws against sexual intercourse between, uh, you know, an, an Aryan and non-Aryan. Mm-hmm. Of course, only the non-Aryan would get car- prosecuted. Yeah. So, uh, Janning, I think, was the one, I think he was the one who actually sentenced this guy to die. Yeah. You know. Um, and it was a heartbreaking scene where uh, Maximilian Schell tries to insinuate as much as he can elude yeah. A lascivious relationship between... It's, it's the best line in the movie. It's,
0: Did you sit on his lap?
1: Did you sit on his lap?
0: <laughs> did you sit- I mean, I used to... When I first saw this movie, Steve, I saw in college, I used to say this to my college roommates all the time. They had no understanding of what it was. Yeah, I used, <laughs> I used to... sit on lap? I used to constantly say, they, you know, we were talking about anything, I was like, I, I'd say, <laughs> But did you sit on his lap? <laughs> and they are just so confused by it. I mean, I love that line. It's just the way... To me, that's why he wins the Oscar. Is that line?
1: It's just the way he says it. Exactly.
0: But did you sit on his lap?
1: Anyway, yeah, that, that dogged, yeah. self defeating yeah. uh, yeah. line of line of questioning. And this is the
0: most horseshit part of the movie, in which Burt Lancaster stands up and he goes, <laughs> "Enough!" And he basically admits his own guilt, and yeah. you know he's going to get tried and sentenced. He condemns
1: not only himself. Yeah. But his three co-defendants yeah, pretty yeah, bad yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, guy. <laughs> <laughs> One of them, in fact, stands up and. and but what you find traitor. out at the end of this movie in the text
0: is all these Nazi war criminals—they mm. all got off. They all,
1: none of them served their full sentences. I think none of them served more than ten years. Yeah, it's incredible. Most of them less than five. Like
0: they're so you got to think about now. This. Mind you, these weren't the guards or. But maybe, the ups, but maybe but these uh, guys were more guilty than the guards. That's that's the point of the movie. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the point is. You know, 1970s Germany, you got the men who corrupted the law walking around free because they didn't serve their full sentences. So the, the real men, that basically imagine, maybe we can make comparisons today, um, lawmakers who allow the corruption of the law. They allow it to occur in front of their lives. They put up no fight, they put up no resistance, and then become, and then they become what I believe is the worst thing to be in the English language. Do you know what that is? Sellout? Collaborators. 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 I think there's no worse accusation of a person than that of collaborator. The only other worst thing is pedophile. (sighs) And pedophiles... Oh, look, God, you're putting me in i p po- I'm putting myself in a <laughs> I mean, position are you gonna defend a pedophile? Yeah, I'm putting myself man. in a position of defending <laughs> pedophiles, but I believe it
1: to They're be not a as men- bad. I think I believe it to be a <laughs> mental
0: illness. Uh-huh. I think I think it's a crime, deserved crime, right? I think it's a mental illness. I don't believe pedophiles want to be pedophiles. Yeah. You see what I mean? Right. Um
1: But these guys are not collaborators. To, uh, Hitler could not have um you know stormed the Reichstag, invaded Austria with pedophiles. Yeah. He needed <laughs> collaborators. Yeah.
0: He needed men of conscience. Who who did not use their conscience? Who allowed? Who allowed it to happen? So these guys, none of them served their full their full terms of sense. and that means in Germany, you know, the idea of Germany, maybe it's because I'm Jewish, walking around saying, you know, we're totally different in 1975. I find amusing if uh, if they had you know these men walking around free. Now, to be fair, um, I think Germany's done a wonderful job of. Of basically not only recognizing their own guilt, but commemorating it constantly, constantly reminding their citizens of what they've done,
1: so they don't do it again. I've never—it's very rare because you don't see this in other countries that participate in World War II atrocities. You don't—you'll see, see this it in any Japan. other countries who commit atrocities, including America's slavery. I
0: mean, we uh, well because I don't we're know about because that. we're a state system. Because mm-hmm. we're a state system, it's wildly different where you go. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, but in Germany, that entire country as a whole have been like every year. There are, like, days to commemorate what they've done. And when I say commemorate, that's maybe the wrong word. Um, memorialize, I guess. Uh, maybe memorialize that's why they're all... victims. Or... Well, no, it, it's actually to impugn themselves. More than mm. anything, Is to
1: impugn themselves. Well, their history. Let's say their history. Because yeah. I am a firm believer—I don't want to get too political, but I'm a firm believer that you're not guilty for the sins of your father. Right, but that country—maybe they feel like there's something in the water. They have a responsibility— I agree, uh, with, to, you, I agree with you. By the to exposing history, absolutely, nobody Nobody's responsible. Just like America has a, a, as a responsibility to you know shine a light on, yes. uh, and, and I think they have. I would have we been. Have. I think
0: maybe three years ago, three years ago, I would have been considered a very left liberal person, very left. I think you would have considered me that. Um, I knew you three years ago. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I will say I do not believe people are responsible. For the crimes of their ancestors or their fathers, that doesn't mean you should ignore it or not admit what has happened in history, or even I, attempt to remedy right, it. I think the Germans are very good about this. Yes,
1: I yes. think mm-hmm. you know. Anyways, so Agreed. Steve, any lines? Um, this is tough because the, the movie is nothing but lines yeah, that's and right. fair, reasonably clever mm-hmm. uh, statements of guilt. Yeah, of you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to trying to uh, curb your 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 guilt, your enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> exculpation? Uh, exculpation with the, is that a word? Self-flagellation. <laughs> so, so fla- some, some self-flagellation. Yeah. And and I don't think any, any of them were particularly good or memorable. Yeah. The one thing that I remember is um, it, it was it was done by Werner uh, Warner uh, Klemperer who became yeah. famous as playing the uh, the head of the the Nazi. Um, the the like Seventeen. St- no, 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 no. Hogan's, uh, Heroes? Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Isn't it the same actor? No. No. Otto Preminger played oh. in In Stolic 17 that guy. Interesting. In in Hogan's Heroes, uh uh it was played by uh uh Werner Klemperer. Okay. He plays Emil Hahn, uh hands down the most explicitly pro-Nazi yeah. scumbag, yeah. right? Right. But he says after he gets sentenced, "Today uh Oh, uh, today you judge me. Tomorrow the Bolsheviks judge you. Yeah, right. That's. Right. I mean, this guy has compl- He is not giving an inch. Mm-hmm. There isn't. There is. Can be something to be said. That is, you know, uh, you know, uh, heroes are the victors. Yeah, Yeah, it's something like saying heroes are the victors. But I I did think that was kind of interesting, and that was a tactic Hitler used later in the career, late in in, in the war. He was hoping that his stance against uh, the Soviet Union might convince the Allies to come on board. No, not going to happen. Not justified. He's not justified here, but I thought it was kind of interesting. It's a good line. Yeah. It's just his last... It's a good understanding. His last defense. It's a good understanding
0: of of the intransigent Nazi mindset and that this guy just doesn't get it. Yeah, and he never
1: will. The actor who played him, um, he liked these roles. Yeah. Um, I th- found a lane. I think he would well, I think he was actually Jewish. And he was oh, German. Oh, good for And he despite he wanted to take any role that, that exposed Nazi Germany. Like that actor in Casablanca who plays the mm-hmm. evil uh, yeah. uh, Nazi yeah. colonel. Um he wasn't he, That guy wasn't Jewish, but he hated the Nazis, any, and he wanted to take any role that would expose Is there them. anything better than being a Jewish person, getting paid to make <laughs> Nazis look foolish? I think, Werner Klemperer, I should, I should know this I, before saying it, but I think, that, I think he was uh, Jewish. And even if he wasn't Jewish, I, I think it's very admirable. Marlena Dietrich hated the Nazis, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's why she took this role. She mm. too wanted to expose the Nazis. Although she her character who she she kind of buddies up to, she's yeah. a local socialite who buddies up to the Spencer Tracy character yeah. to say, hey, we're not all monsters. Yeah. And she she seems like more monstrous than practically anybody else. Is the Inglorious
0: Bastards character based off her? Sorry? The Inglorious Bastards character played by Diana Krugman. Is that loosely based off her? On Marlena Dietrich? Yeah.
1: I don't know. That's a good question.
0: Um, possibly. What I will say is you know uh, you know who had to say she hated Nazis? Can you could guess? Uh-huh. One of the top five film starlets in history. Audrey Hepburn.
1: She did. She fought it. She was part of the resistance. Well, it wasn't in Belgium, her, she was part her, of the resistance. Her dad was a Nazi. Maybe, but she, uh, I know for a fact that um, her not, she and her mother starved, yeah. practically starved. Yeah. She was undernourished by the time she got Well, what she she's on record there. saying is that Nazism
0: destroyed her family. Because her dad was like a baron. In all senses. Yeah, in her dad senses. was like a baron. But it's just kind of funny. It's like... you. You sort of have to, when you're in her
1: situation, protest it the loudest. Hmm. You know what I mean? I said Belgium. I don't know if she was from Belgium or Austria. I forget. Or, or, Maybe she was born in Belgium and this happened in Austria. I was shocked to find out her dad was kind of a Nazi. But uh, from, from what I... If, if I'm not mistaken, I think I've read that she at least uh, was very sympathetic to yeah. the resistance and may have even helped. All right, Steve. Bad pitches. You got any? Bad pitches. Um, you know, I, this is kind of tough. Yeah, it's uh, a, it's it's kind of a it's not a good ye, movie for this. What you want to skip it? Yeah, let's skip that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just not. not, I, it's not I, I'll, of... Be honest with you, I didn't have one. I'm going to be honest with you.
0: If our podcast is a competition between you and I, which uh-huh. I've never felt it has been, but if it is, I kind of feel like I've lost this one.
1: Um, I, I, I like, don't think it is, but yes, I yeah. win. <laughs> I feel like Breaker Morant kind of blew my pick out of the water. Uh, well. You know, uh, as part of the mutual admiration side, I can tell you, you have awakened me to several movies. Yeah. That I would. America, America is your gold standard. I think it is so good, and I I just did not want to see it, and you convinced me, and you're absolutely right. I didn't know what I was getting. When you said the name Breaker Morant,
0: I was immediately not enthused because it's such a bad name. I was like, what the (laughs) fuck? I thought it was going to be some 1950s garbage, quite frankly. One last thing the the word Breaker, that's a nickname for this guy because he broke horses. They don't explain it either. They, they say they're going to explain why his name is Breaker, and they never do. Well, they say it's because
1: he broke horses. He was so good no, at breaking horses. No, they never horses. actually,
0: they never finished the line. They never finished oh, the line. Oh, maybe they want to get
1: into it more, like they how say, it applies to him as, a, as they, an officer. They say they'll
0: yeah. explain it later, and uh-huh. they never do. Oh, they never, they <laughs> never <can> actually <laughs> explain it. Um, but yeah, look, not only is it a world-class film, it is a true hidden gem. It's a challenge. It, 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 this movie challenges you. But it's not challenging to watch. No, no. It's quite... It's compelling. It's cinematic. First time I saw it, yeah. and I
1: was a stupid kid. Yeah. What do I know? 18, it 19. It is rare to find a,
0: a real hidden gem yeah. that is that good. Yeah. That is, You know, a lot of times, the best movies are known about. You know, um, and I think we've had some really good hidden gems like America, America. You know, mm. things that are truly that good and are yeah. also hidden. But this movie, it,
1: it, if, if anything... Oh, and King Rat, right? a Hidden gem. That probably is more. That's more hidden than Breaker Morant. I you think. think. Yeah, you're yes. probably right. It disappeared. Like, I never man. heard of it before, and I've heard of almost every. Now, you major recommended
0: movie. Gallipoli to me, and I watched it. Not a hidden gem, but a masterpiece. Um, this is a hidden gem. Sorry, guys, that Judgment at Nuremberg didn't hold <laughs> up to the standards of a uh, of Breaker
1: Morant. It's worth seeing. You should Absolutely. see it. Um, Just, just to the agitation of the mind, you know, some of the things it it, it brings. Absolutely. All right, Steve, this was a fun one. Anything else? Yes, it was. Um, I'm totally, I'm totally done. All right, until next time, man. Have a good one.